The First United Methodist Church is a church of open hearts, open minds, and open doors, seeking to help everyone come to know Jesus Christ, both in Altamont and around the world. Our worship services are at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, and all are welcome in person after the COVID crisis, but now online at our YouTube channel, Altamont First UMC. You can also find the link on Facebook at our Facebook page, First United Methodist Church Altamont. We will begin worship shortly. First United Methodist Church of Altamont. I am Reverend Paige Campbell, your pastor, and I'm so glad that you have joined us for worship on this Memorial Day weekend. I say God is good and you say all the time. I say all the time and you say God is good. God is good. All the time. God is good, even and especially in the midst of the times that we're living in. A quick note, I know that many of you know that the president made an announcement about the churches opening up. I wanted to let you know that our bishop has instructed all of the United Methodist churches in the Illinois Great Rivers Conference to follow the Restore Illinois plan laid out by our state government. That means that our churches will not be reopening for worship to full capacity until we reach stage five, and we are just entering into stage three. Please continue to check email and Facebook, and I will send out better messages than I have before to keep you all updated to when we will be worshiping all together again. But here's the thing. The church is a building, but worship is something that we do wherever we are. And the Holy Spirit is with us whenever two or more are gathered in God's name, and that's whether we're gathered in a building or we're gathered in spirit. So let's join our spirits together this morning as we worship. I'm going to go and light our candle to kind of center us. If you have one at home to light, I invite you to do that now. And I invite you to sing with me our opening hymn, I Am Thine, O Lord, number 419 in the United Methodist Hymnal.
now if you will join with me in our community prayer, let us join our voices together and pray. God of all glory, as we come in this hour to know your son through the living word of scripture, enlighten our hearts with the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Remind us again of Christ's authority over the church at all times and in all places. Renew in us again our purpose as Christ's followers to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus Christ to all people in all places. All glory and honor be to you, Christ Jesus. Amen. We, of course, want to take a moment to recognize that this is Memorial Day weekend, and we want to give thanks for all those who have served our country and who have given their lives in service to our country. So if you will be in a spirit of prayer with me. Lord God, it is indeed a great gift and sacrifice when a person gives their all in the fight for freedom, the fight against injustice and oppression. And so, Lord, we thank you for all of those who have given their lives in service to our nation to help to make us a country that is free, free to worship you, free to express our opinions. And, Lord, there are freedoms we don't even recognize and remember that we have because of the sacrifice of others. So, Lord, we pray that as those who have given themselves up for our country live and reside with you in heaven, Lord, help to make us more aware and thankful for those who serve now, who give their all in service to our freedoms, in service to justice, in service to your kingdom here on earth. Amen. Now I invite the children to come forward. Come up to your TV screens, your uh, tablets, your phones, whatever it is that you're watching. And we're going to have some children's time. So, like I just said in the prayer, today is uh, Memorial Day weekend. So, memorial means to remember. And so since 1866, any of you alive in 1866? Any of you alive in 1966? Any of you alive in 2066? Well, let's hope so. Well, anyway, back in 1866, it was just after the Civil War, which was this terrible war we had here in the United States. And after that, people recognized that we needed to remember the people who died in that war, fighting that war, so we can remember the sacrifices that they made. And so ever since then, we've been celebrating Memorial Day on the Monday, last Monday of May. Now, when I was growing up, I was still in school at this point. Like, we didn't get out of school until the middle of June. So this was actually meaning that I had a day off on Monday. And that's what I loved about Memorial Day, too. And I also loved Memorial Day because it was the weekend of the Indianapolis 500. You all know what that is, right? No, you don't? Do you know where Indianapolis is? It's a big city about, well, from where I'm standing, it's about 
I don't know, two hours that way. It's this big car race, and my family loved to watch it, and so we would watch it. It normally would have started at 11 o'clock Central Time on the Sunday of Memorial Day weekend. Lots of people also tend to have barbecues and picnics and stuff like that, which is all great. But I think it is important for us to remember why we have Memorial Day, to give thanks for the people who died so that we could be free. It's a great sacrifice to be willing to give up your life, give your all for some people that you don't even know. You know, that's what Jesus did for us. He gave his life. He sacrificed everything for us, and he didn't even know us. And his sacrifice and his gift lives on in our faith today, just as the sacrifice and the gifts of those who died at war lives on in our freedoms today. Jesus himself said there is no greater gift than to give one's life for one's friend. That's a pretty big gift. So to this weekend, I hope that you'll pause, you'll see an American flag, and you'll say, thank you, God, for all those who served, men and women, who have helped to keep our country free and give thanks to Jesus who gave his all for us as well. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for a time to remember and give thanks. So Lord, as, as we might be able to share some picnic time or some family time outside, maybe a little different than before, but uh, a celebration nonetheless, God help us to remember and give thanks for all those who serve, all those who have served in our armed forces, and all those who have given their lives for the cause of freedom. Amen. As we enter into our time of prayer, of course, we want to remember those that we know who are in need of special prayers. We want to continue to lift up um, Shirley Harder in our prayers. Uh, there are others that I know who will be undergoing some surgeries and some procedures in the future. So please pray for those people. Of course, we want to pray that everyone stays safe, that the coronavirus does not spread that we are able to maybe loosen things up a little bit, but still say, stay safe. And of course, we pray too that um, the coronavirus will end, that we will find some kind of cure or some kind of uh, vaccine uh, so that we can go, well, life's never gonna be the same way it was before, but perhaps we can live better than we did before. I invite you now into a few moments of personal prayer time. Lord God, we have gathered together in spirit to give you thanks and to give you praise. Lord, we have come this morning to seek you, to seek your word, to seek your presence, to seek your guidance and your wisdom. Lord, thank you for being with us at all times and in all places. And God, as we are in this Memorial Day weekend, we are ever more aware of how different life is right now. 
There are traditions that are not being practiced this weekend. There are graduations that are not taking place. There are families that are not gathering as they would normally. But God, you are with us. And you call us to be your disciples and to share your love and your grace no matter what the circumstances are. So, Lord, this Memorial Day weekend, Lord, help us to show your love wherever we are and however we are. Lord, help us to share uh, a good deed, a good word. Lord, help us to stay safe. Help us to make wise decisions. And Lord, in the midst of this chaos that we have, we, we pray for those who are sick, that they will be healed. Lord, we pray for those who are isolated, that they might be brought back into community when time is right. Lord, we pray for those who lack the basic needs, food, shelter, clothing, safety, that, Lord, you will provide. And God, I pray that you will continue to challenge us and empower us to be better disciples in new and different ways in these new and different times. As summer approaches, Lord, help us to find ways to share and to love you. Lord, we do pray for the end of the coronavirus. We pray for the doctors and the nurses and all those who are still on the front line and still caring for those who are in need. Lord, we pray for all of our leaders, the leaders of our government, the leaders of our churches, and we pray that they will seek your wisdom in all that they do, and that we too will seek your wisdom in all that we do. God, we pray all of this and so, so much more, Lord. But now we join our voices together and we pray to you saying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Did I say the whole prayer this time again? Okay, good. I'm glad. A joke from two weeks ago, I skipped like a whole section of the Lord's Prayer. So now I'm really worried about that. <laughs> okay, you all know the common theme of books, of, uh, of movies, whatever. There's a good guy and the bad guy, and at some point they they come to blows, if you will, and the good guy prevails, right? Um, I would tell you a story like that, but I don't want to ruin any stories. But what about those stories that you know where like the good guy ends up being the bad guy and the bad guy ends up being the good guy? Now, I like those because they're a little more complicated. You know, you have to really like think about it. Again, what story of that could I tell you without ruining the plot? I picked a story that is, oh, I don't know, 200 plus years old. Pride and Prejudice. There's Mr. Darcy and Mr. Wickham. In case you are not a Jane Austen fan like I am, I will fill in the blanks for you. 
So Mr. Darcy is this very proud, very rich Englishman in, oh, we'll say 1811. And he comes to a small town and meets the people in this lovely little hamlet of Meryton. And he seems to kind of thumb his nose up at them. He seems very snobby. He indicates that everyone there is quite below him and not up to his standards. Immediately, our heroine, Elizabeth Bennet, just cannot stand Mr. Darcy, even if he is good looking. Then we're introduced to Mr. Wickham. Mr. Wickham is a member of the militia that's been stationed in Meryton for the summer or the winter, whatever time of year it was. He is everything that Mr. Darcy is not. He is very friendly. He's outgoing. He tells stories. He makes people laugh. He befriends Elizabeth. And she likes him very much. And he, too, is fairly good-looking. And also, poor Mr. Wickham has such a sad past. He should have so much more in life, but he doesn't because of Mr. Darcy. So at the beginning of this novel, the portrait has been painted. Mr. Darcy is the bad guy, the snooty guy, the one who uh, thinks too much of himself. And Mr. Wickham is the poor, wounded, friendly underdog whom we should root for. Well, I'm going to ruin the story for you because that is not at all the case. Mr. Darcy is kind of snobby, aloof, a little judgmental but he's not a bad guy. He just doesn't express it all the right way all the time. Mr. Wickham, on the other hand, turns out to be wicked, like terrible, like, well, maybe you will have to read the book or watch the movie to find out how wicked Mr. Wickham is. But needless to say, the tides were turned, the roles were reversed, Mr. Darcy ends up being the hero of the story, and Mr. Wickham is not. I like stories like that. They kind of twist our expectation, kind of challenge our assumptions. And that's what Jesus does when he tells many of his parables. He sets a stage for us, common examples we would think, but then provides a twist that makes us think. And today the parable that we are going to talk about does this it is known as the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector it's found in Luke chapter 18 beginning at verse 9 and I'll read it for you now he Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt two men went up to the temple to pray one a Pharisee the other a tax collector the Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Again, it seems like a pretty straightforward story. 
But I want us to ask the question, who is really the bad guy in this story? Well, let's look at it how we read this today, shall we? So Jesus is telling a parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector. Let's look about what we think and know and feel about Pharisees at this point as we read through any of the Gospels. The Pharisees are the bad guys. The Pharisees are the ones that are challenging Jesus. They're the group of Jews that do not understand who Jesus is and want to prove him wrong. They, they, they try to catch him in traps. Tax collectors, on the other hand, we know that they're not good, but we've met so many good tax collectors. There's Zacchaeus, there's Matthew. We see how tax collectors can repent. And so as 21st century readers who know the gospel of Jesus, this is a pretty straightforward parable. We have a Pharisee who's so self-righteous, who's talking and bragging about how much he does, and he judges the tax collector who is also praying at the temple. And we know the tax collector, the man who has sinned, but he has come to God and he has asked for forgiveness have mercy upon me, he says, as he beats his chest. I am a sinner. Jesus is telling this story to a group of people who said, um, who, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. There's a layout right there. It's all been set up. The Pharisee has contempt for the tax collector thinks highly of himself. The tax collector, though, is seemingly repentant. And at the end, Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. If we left it right there, our understanding of this parable in many ways would be spot on. We're supposed to be humble in our faith. We're not supposed to go out and brag about the things that we do. And we are certainly not to judge others. We are not to judge people. We are not to feel more highly about ourselves. And oh my gosh, that can be so, so hard. Just on an everyday level and then on a faith level as well. If the person that you thought was the worst sinner in the world showed up in your space of worship, be honest about what the first thoughts would be when they went through your mind. Would they be, oh my goodness, I'm so glad that they're here, or oh my goodness, they're here. It is a challenge for us not to judge, not to think too highly of the ways that we live out our own faith. It's a challenge for us instead to support those who need faith. And also, let's be honest with ourselves. In many ways, aren't we all the tax collector in the sense that we all need to come before God and ask forgiveness? That we are all sinners in need of repentance? We are. Don't ever say that you're not because then you are lying to yourself. It's a powerful message as we read it. Humility and understanding our need for repentance. 
But this is where I want to challenge you now. Because this story can be seen a different way. And from my studies, this is how I think that a first century person would have heard this story. So now we're going back to Jesus's day. The day of dirt roads and open-toed sandals. Oh, wait. Go further than that. <laughs> it's not summertime in central Illinois. But instead, go back to Israel with Jesus. Indeed, in the days of dirt roads, no electricity. A day of Roman occupation. A day of seeking the Messiah. Jesus is telling this story indeed to a group of people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Who are those people that he's talking to, by the way? Who are the people that are around Jesus the most? Could it have been some of Jesus' disciples that he was talking to? That perhaps they were feeling that they were righteous above others? Was this maybe a time when Jesus was saying, ah, let's think about this for a minute. But now I want to get to the parable itself. The parable where Jesus is talking about the Pharisee and the tax collector. Now, who's the bad guy in this story? Well, in Jesus' day, it was not the Pharisee. Pharisees, in fact, were very well respected. I have to be honest. I've always thought of the Pharisees as the bad guys, and I've never really taken the time to do the research to figure out where they really stood in Jewish society in Jesus' day. Well, my assumptions have been wrong. The Pharisees were very well respected in Jesus' day. Yes, they tried to live out their faith, but they were admired for that. They looked to learn the scriptures, but they were also different than the Sadducees. They believed in interpretation of the scriptures, not just a verbatim. Example in point, the, the high priests, the Sadducees, the ruling class of Jewish leaders would look at a verse like an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and they would believe that if you poked out someone's eye, that you should literally poke someone else's eye out. That if someone took your tooth, that you should take their tooth. But the Pharisees believed in interpretation. They said it doesn't have to be a literal reading, but it's the feeling, it's the intention of the scripture. Reminds me a lot about, you know, constitutional interpretation here in the United States. So the Pharisees, in my example, would believe that, that if you were wronged, instead of taking the other person's eye, yes, you could receive a, a monetary uh, reward instead, and that things didn't have to be as literal as what is the spirit of the scripture. They also believed in the oral traditions of, of Jewish uh, rabbis that had gone before. What did they say about the scripture? They were actually very progressive for their time. And they believed in a bodily resurrection. They were well admired within the Jewish society. And so when Jesus starts this parable, or any parable where it says the Pharisees, when Jesus is talking about the Pharisees, his listeners would not hear the enemy. They would hear the hero. The Pharisee. Standing by himself was praying thus. He's in the temple. 
That means he is following his obligation. He is ritually pure, and he has gone to pray to God, and he is standing and praying thus, God, I thank you. He is thanking God that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, even like this tax collector. Now, might we consider that a little boastful? Yes, but it's true. He's made choices not to be that way. He has made a choice instead to follow God and God's commands in his life. That is commendable. And he continues, I fast twice a week. It was not required to fast twice a week. So he is going above and beyond what is necessary to grow in his faith, to express his faith. I give a tenth of all my income. How many people do you know that actually give a tenth of their income? Think of all who benefit from his generosity. He would have given to the widows and to the poor and to the orphans. He would have given to the Levites who have nothing but depend upon the generosity of others. He is doing good with what he does. He is the hero. And then we have the tax collector. The tax collector was not seen as a positive image in the Jewish society of Jesus' day. The tax collector was a collaborator. The tax collector worked for the enemy. The tax collector cheated people as he collected taxes for Rome and then kept the extra for himself. The tax collector was the bad guy. And the tax collector knew it. This tax collector, though, is different because he apparently follows the law inasmuch that he goes to the temple to pray. So this in and of itself would have been shocking for Jesus' listeners. The, the tax collector has gone to the temple. That means he's ritually clean. He can't go in if he's not. And he's gone to pray. So he's trying. He's trying. And so he prays to God, beating his breast, a common thing that people still do to this day as they pray, beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He himself is being honest as well. He is a sinner. Like I said, like we all are. But in any of the cheating that he does in his business, that indeed is a sin not only against God, but against his community. The things that he is doing, they are harming his community. So even though he's praying all of this, the listener is going to think that he is still in the wrong. That sure, God may be hearing him, but he's still a tax collector. Has he really repented? Has he changed his ways? Or is he just trying to make himself feel a little bit better for the moment? You know how it is when we pray continuously to relieve ourselves of a sin that we do continuously. When we're stuck in a pattern of lies, when we're stuck in a pattern of sin and we ask for forgiveness. And we know that God forgives us, but then we do the sin again. A first century reader, a first century listener would have heard the tax collector, and thought, 
You are a sinner, but are you going to be any better? You're a sinner, but are you a repenter? So Jesus then says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. Now that in and of itself would have been a shocking statement then to the first century listener because they would not have thought that the tax collector was truly humbling himself. And they probably wouldn't have thought that he was justified. They would have thought he was just going through the motion. And they wouldn't have thought that the things that the Pharisee said were really that over the top because they were all true. But Jesus here is talking about humility. But here's another thing. And this is where biblical translation comes to play. The phrase that we have when Jesus says, I tell you this man went down to his home justified rather than the other, is the word para in Greek, which actually has many translations. Rather than is one of them, but another translation for that is next to, set side by side, alongside, or because of. So let me read it to you like that. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified alongside of the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is one thing I think we miss about the Pharisee and what he says. He's saying all of that to God, that he has done all these things and that he is glad that he is not like another but we don't know that he says that out loud to anyone else. Maybe that's his internal conversation. And if it is, then he does seem humble and giving, and he does do things that benefit his community. And perhaps some of the things that he does to benefit the community, the things that he does as a model to his community, has then positive effects on the community, maybe even the tax collector. I don't think that God was setting aside the Pharisee. I think God just wants the Pharisee maybe to be a bit more humble. I'm not sure that God is setting the tax collector up on a pedestal telling us to be like him unless the tax collector repents and no longer cheats. I don't have the answer to either one of those. But two men went to the temple to pray. Both men went seeking God. Both prayed to God in different ways, but in authentic ways. And for both, I am sure that God spoke to them, if they were real people. But in many ways, they are real people because they're us. In the times when we exalt ourselves when we shouldn't, and in the times when we repent, even though we are not repentant. So what is Jesus really trying to tell us in this parable? Well, I think humility is definitely one of our lessons. I think generosity, though, can be too. A willingness to practice our faith, 
knowing that it not just benefits us, but it benefits our entire community. A lesson to welcome all in, even those who don't think that they're welcome. And a willingness to understand for all of us that we may say we're sorry and we may repent, but the truth is really in our actions. And if we do turn around and change our ways. I've been challenged by this parable, both in my understanding of Pharisees and tax collectors, and understanding how my 21st century understanding gets laid upon a story that was told 2,000 years ago. But I'm also challenged because I recognize within myself that I am both the Pharisee and the tax collector. That I am both a person who can be very proud of what I do, and I can also be a person who does what she shouldn't and doesn't change her ways. God is now placing upon your heart an understanding of that too. The ways in your life in which you are proud where you shouldn't be and where you are sinful and unwilling to repent. So God is calling you today to humility and to repentance. And God reminds us all each and every day that through Jesus Christ, we can have repentance. And that in following Christ's way of humility and love, we can have new life. So I invite you to pray with me. Lord God, there are things upon our hearts that weigh heavy, that separate us, that keep us from your love and keep us from our neighbor. Lord God, we are so much more like the tax collector than we ever care to admit. Lord, I pray for each person who is listening right now that, Lord, you will help them, help me examine our hearts to not only see but then to name the places, name the sins that we commit over and over again. And, Lord, we ask not only your forgiveness, but, God, we ask for the power, the will, the perseverance to change. And, God, in those places in our hearts where we are puffed up, where we feel proud, where we are judgmental, God, I pray that you will show us humility, not in a way that is horrible or anything, but, God, just soften our hearts. Help us to see how that can be sinful, too. But above all, God, help us to continue to know you, to grow in you, to practice our faith, to be generous in all that we do, and to share your love with each and every person that we meet. And Lord, we pray all this in the great, great name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. As a pastor of the church, I thank so many of you for the generosity that you've continued to share with this congregation uh, through your giving in these COVID times. We cannot pass the basket. We will not be doing that for quite some time. And so we are so thankful for the time and effort that you have taken to continue to financially support this ministry. And so again, I invite you, if you are called, willing, or able to share your offerings with us, to do so by mail to mail it to the First United Methodist Church, 308 North 
2nd Street, Altamont, 62411, or to do something electronically through your bank. We do thank you for your giving and your continued support. And so now in thanksgiving for that and all the works that God does through the church and through us, let us sing praise God from whom all blessings flow. In our news to share, um, I'd like to remind everyone that the Ministerial Alliance Food Pantry is open on Tuesdays and Thursdays from 1 until 3 o'clock, and food is available to anyone who lives within the Altamont School District. We do ask that those who come wear a mask, um, and uh, uh, we are happy to have anyone, and so please spread the word. If you need to contact me for any reason, um, please call me, email. You know, I keep hearing things through the grapevine three weeks late. I'd really love to hear them when they happen. So if you have news to share, good, bad, or just you want to say hi, please give me a call, 217-254-1860, or email me at pagewarnercampbell at gmail.com. And another note on church reopening, we do have a committee that is meeting to help uh, formulate our covenant. A covenant is not just a plan. A covenant is a promise that we make between ourselves and with God included and how we are going to live into this new era of being the church, how we're going to use our building and how we are going to best serve our people, our community and our members while following John Wesley's rules of doing no harm doing good, and staying in love with God. So when we have information to share with you, we will pass that on. And so I pray and hope that you have a good rest of your weekend. If you get an extra day off tomorrow, enjoy it. Use it as best as you can. Enjoy the beauty of the earth. Enjoy the family that might be nearby. And give thanks to God for all that God has given you and for the liberties and the freedoms that you have because of what others have done for you. And in each and every action that you take, share God's love. I know it's hard to share a smile now because when we wear masks, it's really hard to see our facial expressions. So maybe these are ways that we reach out and do new and different things. A phone call, a six-foot uh, social distance visit to a neighbor out on the front lawn, whatever the case may be. God goes with you, and God calls you to share God's love with others. So let us close out our time of worship together by singing the hymn, A Charge to Keep I Have. It's number 413 in the United Methodist Hymnal.
blessings, and we hope to worship together again next week. Amen.